Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Can you hear me? Am I on? Uh, it's so good to be here at uh, Horizon Church, and um, we kind of had uh, something planned back in the spring to, to be up here and, and meet you folks and, and speak here, and then the virus happened, and uh, we had to put that off, and, but we are very thankful that uh, we're able to make it up here uh, this weekend. And uh, special thanks to Mary Sialkowski. Uh, she put us up last night, and um, am I okay? And uh, we had a place to sleep, and um, she has been keeping in contact with us and invited us here to the church, and thanks to Pastor Bud as well for um, giving up this precious hour um, for, for us to speak. And unfortunately, Rebecca probably will not be speaking. We'll probably not be coming up here. I tried to talk her into it, and I even said you could sing a song, you know, something up here, but she's like, oh, no, I don't think so. Not, not this time. So, but maybe if I, if I speak quickly enough, uh, there'll be time at the end uh, for some, some questions, and then uh, Rebecca can help with that. But uh, it is a privilege to be here, and... Um, what I want to do is I have a, a short video just to kind of introduce our, our ministry in Peru. And so I'm going to ask um, there in the back if you could just uh, click on the video and get that running. And do I need to step to this? Should I, I should be all right. There's a lot of preparation an Ashinika lady puts into making a robe, or as they call it, it's a kitarenzi for her husband. She has to harvest the cotton, she spins it into the thread, and then she weaves the thread into a beautiful robe. In a similar way, Brad and I have prepared ourselves by learning the Ashinika language and culture. That's our spinning. And then us living with the Ashinika, that's being woven together in our relationships we have with them. And all of that, it's preparing this beautiful work of people turning to Jesus, churches being planted, and God ultimately receiving all the glory. We have been doing tribal ministry now for about the total of six years. Uh, we lived amongst the Ashinaga in Brazil, and uh, we've lived amongst the Ashinaga in Peru for about two years now. We live in Puerto Breu, and our house um, functions totally on solar energy. We collect rainwater off of our roof. It serves as our drinking water. Usually by 8.30 or so, we start homeschool, Coleman and I, while Brad's studying in his office. Then I join Brad with either a language session or we go out visiting some of our friends in the local area. Because we want to connect and disciple, we try to also take time to go to Nueva Luz.
when we go to Nueva Luz, um, our day is a little bit different because we don't have our own house. Um, we live a lot more simply. There's usually an empty Ashinaga house where we can stay, and we'll set up our stove, set up a tent. We'll get our water from a spring. We uh, do life. It's definitely a family ministry for us. And I think, too, with Ashinaga, it really creates a bridge. When Brad brings his wife and his son, it communicates, I really care about you. We all care about you. And I can connect with women in ways he would never be able to. And Coleman, too, with the kids. It tends to be a time when we really see our, our language and our culture learning accelerating. It's our goal to learn Ashinaga to a point where we can teach the Bible in their heart language and disciple the believers and also to train indigenous leaders. Pero Naka necesita para enseñar más su palabra de Dios. Por ejemplo, Naka que nace un Naka, un Nampi que nace en la luz. Nace un Nampi que nace, no me va a dar el pavo a frente. No cuento Naka, no tiene nada más bueno, cuento un viaje de Cristo. Por eso no tengo que decantarte. We'd like to see the Ashinaga not only reaching out to other Ashinaga villages and maybe other dialects of Ashinaga that exist in Peru, but even going cross-culturally to, to other language groups as missionaries. We're just really excited to see what God's going to do. We know that He loves these people and He has a plan for them too. Thank you to all of you who have partnered with us. We couldn't have done it without you. So yeah, that, uh, and you can go ahead and click on the next slide there, please. Um, that just gives you a little bit of a picture of what our ministry looks like there in the Amazon jungles of Peru, working with the Ashinaga people. Um, I'm Brad, my wife Rebecca, our son Coleman is here as well, and um, we love, we just love uh talking about the Ashinaga, what's going on down there, what God is doing among the Ashinaga people. And we love to talk about the unreached, the unreached people groups, not just the Ashinaga, but in other parts of the world as well. And that's what I hope to do this morning. I did want to just highlight, um, if you could click on the next slide there, uh, Laudiano, who you saw in that video. Um, Laudiano is one of the few believers right now among the Ashinaga people. And um, he is a, a faithful believer, and he lives in a very spiritually dark area of the world. Uh, the Ashinaga culture without Christ is very spiritually dark. And uh, Laudiano is also a, a faithful language helper. He's been a faithful language helper to me, a faithful Bible lesson checker. <laughs> he checks my, my lessons that I write in Ashinaga. And, um, and uh, just an interesting little cultural tidbit. Uh, we always found this so, so fascinating. But when I'd have my language sessions with Laudiano, uh, it, it wouldn't just be him who would come to my sessions. No, it'd be like two or three of his, of his smallest children would also join him uh, for the language sessions. And in the photo there, 
Um, that is only part of his family. Laudiano and his wife, Camicha, have 11 children. And uh, cute, cute little kids, um, love to be around them. There was always, like I said, two or three of them that would come to the language session uh, with Laudiano. So imagine this, you're, you're trying to learn, you're trying to study this very complex Amazonian language. And, you know, I'd be there, I'd have, I think, smoke curling out of my ears as I'm trying to, okay, okay, this is how the language works, okay. And at the same time, there'd be a couple of his kids be like finding the, the gray hairs, you know. <laughs> ah, you know, ouch, ouch, ouch. And uh, in the photos, you could see I wasn't quite as gray as I am now. So I think now they would just be overwhelmed. It'd be like, we, okay, we can't, we can't handle all the gray hair now. But also, or, or yeah, my arms. They'd be like, oh, you know, all that, all that arm hair. Because Ashinaga hardly have any body hair. And so that was very intriguing to them. So it was always a cultural, cultural experience, uh, having language sessions with uh, Laudiano and his, his wife, too. Um, but yeah, precious family. And any time that they would hear, like we were going to come back to the States and be speaking in a church or whatnot, Laudiano would always, oh, Brad, Brad, tell them. When you, you speak to those people back there in your church, remind them to pray for us. Pray for me and my wife, me and my family. And so that's one of the first things I want to do this morning is to ask you to remember Laudiano. That's his name. Camiche is his wife. And once, once you pray for them, because like I said, it's, it's so spiritually dark uh, where they live. They're, they're some of the very few Christians in, in their Ashinaga world there. So please remember Laudiano and his family. Um, you can click on the next slide there. Uh, with our time this morning, I want to uh, look briefly at Romans chapter 10. And uh, we are going to, to see how people end up calling upon the Lord uh, to be saved. And then also we want to uh, look at some important steps to reach an unreached people group, to reach a group with the gospel. And then we'll finish up talking about the unreached. Who are they? And how can we, as Christ's body, as the church, be involved in reaching them? So, uh, next slide, please. Let's, let's just start by reading Romans chapter 10. And we'll read verses 13 uh, through the first part of verse 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? So here Paul's presenting a series of rhetorical questions, right? And he kind of works backward from the point of an individual calling on the Lord for salvation, verse 13, to the point of the proclaimer of the gospel being sent, right? Verse 15. So what's, what's Paul's main point? What's Paul's main point here uh, with these verses? 
Well, I believe Paul's main point is that in order for a person to call on the Lord for salvation, in order for that person to have true saving faith, he must hear a clear presentation of the gospel, right? And I love the way that uh, Pastor uh, John MacArthur sums this up. Pastor MacArthur uh, puts it this way. He says, you can't be saved if you don't believe the gospel, and you can't believe the gospel if you haven't heard it. Pretty simple, right? So there's a series of things that must happen in order for someone to be able to come to that point where they can call upon the Lord for salvation. So this kind of working backwards, starting in verse 15, the first thing, someone must be sent. Someone must be sent to go and evangelize. And then secondly, the people must hear the gospel, right? And I believe that here, the, the, word, the verb here is more than just a physical hearing with the ears, the eardrum, and so forth. But the, it's understood. There, there's understanding there. It's not just babbling, but there's understanding when they hear. And then, verse 14 as well, the people must believe in the Lord. Believe in the Lord. And then, verses 13 and 14 mention this, the people must call on the Lord to be saved. So, you might be wondering, you know, what, what's the difference here between believing in the Lord and calling on the Lord to be saved? Why does Paul differentiate here between those two ideas? And we don't have time this morning to dive super deep into it, but suffice it to say that Paul seems to, to use believe in the Lord to mean simply like a mental assent or mental agreement with the facts about Jesus, who he was and, and what he did. Whereas those who call on the name of the Lord are those who recognize him as Savior, right? They're not simply acknowledging who Jesus is, but they are calling upon him for salvation, for forgiveness of sin and repentance. So if we can just jump down to the, the next slide there and, and look briefly at, at uh, verse 17, Romans 10, verse 17, and here's what Paul writes. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. And the word faith here, refers to saving faith, faith unto salvation. And what's the good news about Christ? It's the gospel, right? The gospel message. So here Paul is just reiterating what he was getting at in verses 13 through 15. The unsaved will not come to saving faith without hearing the good news about Christ. And God uses his word through his Holy Spirit particularly his word about Christ's death and resurrection, right? To, to do his work, to bring people to that point of salvation. And um, before we went to the mission field, we had two years of uh, very specialized training for tribal uh, cross-cultural church planting. And during our first year of those two years of training, I remember uh, we had this uh, instructor and I don't know how many times throughout that, that first year of training, he would quote Romans 10, 17. He was always quoting Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. And uh, he would always say something. When he would quote it, he would say something like this. 
He said, now remember, God doesn't do his work in the hearts of people in a vacuum. But he uses his word. He works through his word as they understand his word. The Holy Spirit uses that to bring people to conviction and to eventually bring people to saving faith. And so it's just the importance, the importance of communicating clearly God's word to people. And then God, God can use that. He, can, he, he knows his word is powerful. He can use his word to change people's hearts as they, as they hear with understanding. So, next slide, please. Um, what, then, are the necessary steps we need to take in order to reach an isolated people group with this good news about Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about now. What, are, what, what kind of steps do we have to take? How do you go about reaching an isolated people group with the gospel? Um, next slide, please. So, let's say that you're the missionary. You're the missionary. Uh, maybe you arrived uh, there, out there in the village in a, in a Cessna 206, like you see in the photo there. And God has laid this people group on your heart. Uh, you have been praying for this people group. So you're finally, you and your family, you've moved out there to the village. You've done the hard work of getting that house set up to live in out there in the village. Um, you're out there. Maybe the people, you know, speaking about food, Maybe the people have already offered you grubs and uh, beetles like the Ashinaga eat. And to be polite, you were like, okay, I'll try one. And uh, you tried one. Or maybe they brought that frothy-looking, sour-tasting drink to you like the Ashinaga love to do with their guests. And you're like, okay, I guess I can drink a bowl of this to be polite. And so you tried some of that. So you're, you're out there, and you're all gung-ho. You're ready to uh, build relationships with the people. So what do you think your first, the first main step is to reach these people with the gospel? If you have the goal to present the gospel to the people, what will be your first important main step? Next slide, please. The first thing you need to do is learn their language and culture, Right? Because right now, all you're hearing is over here, and it's just a bunch of gibberish to you. And um, yeah, you could you could uh, read them John three sixteen in English or in Peru and Spanish even, and they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't understand what you're talking about. So the first thing you need to do is, as the missionary, you have to learn their language. You have to learn their culture. Um, and you know what? This is often one of the hardest parts of the work. Seriously. Uh, these Oftentimes, when we, we think, okay, this is a primitive people group. They live out in the middle of the Amazon jungle. I mean, probably their language is probably pretty basic, you know, pretty simple. You know what? Linguists, ling they have found quite the opposite that these peoples that seem to be more primitive and live in isolated areas, oftentimes their languages are even more sophisticated than English, than, than um, uh, some of the main languages in the world. So, with Ashinaga, in our case, you know, we found that most libraries, 
and I think the Allentown Public Library included, don't carry books with titles like How to Learn Ashinaga 10 Minutes a Day. <laughs> and if, if you're familiar with the Duolingo app for learning language, they haven't added Ashinaga yet uh, to their list of languages. But thankfully, there are ways to learn a tribal language when there are absolutely no other resources available. But it does tend to take a lot of work, and it tends to take a lot of time to do that. And also, when you, when you learn their language, what we're talking about here is learning their language to a high level. Um, we're not, it's not just to a level where maybe you can, you can get, like I could get together with some of the men, and we could talk about monkey hunting, because that's what they love to do, and that's what they eat, or diving for four-foot catfish in their river there, because they, they do that as well. Um, no, we want to be able to learn their language to a high enough level to where we can actually discuss some of those more abstract concepts, spiritual um, concepts from God's Word. Because those are the ideas, those are the truths that God is going to use to change their hearts. And so it is. It is a big, big task. And I often say, and I think some of you who have probably studied some Spanish or French or Chinese or, or whatever, you could probably attest to this as well, but you know what one of the biggest challenges is of learning another language? Opening your mouth, right? Yeah, because we just know that once we start to open our mouth and we start to form, try to form those new words and those new phrases, we're going to say some real embarrassing things, right? We're going to say some things that, that are really stupid at times. And I'll never forget uh, the time when, when uh, we, we had been in the village for a little while. And in our village there, whenever there is visiting Ashinaga, whenever other Ashinaga come to visit our village, you know where the number one tourist attraction is in our village? Us. It's like, oh, look, you've got to go see those weird white people, the weird missionaries that live over there in that house. And so we always would get, you know, all the visitors, they'd come over and, you know, like come to our house and, and want to visit with us because we were strange. And I'll never forget uh, one time uh, Chonguero and his wife, first time I met Chonguero, uh, they came to our house. They were visitors and they wanted to check us out. And so we let them in. And earlier that day, I had been um, studying in Ashinaga like simple commands in the language, like stand up, sit down, come, go. And so I'd been studying these commands and reviewing them. And well, it was getting to the end of our, our visiting time. There were Chonguero and his wife, and they were making their way to the door. And I thought, oh yeah, I'd been, I'd been learning that command, come back again, you know, like, how friendly, you know, you can't get much more friendly than that. You invite them back. Oh, come back and visit again sometime. And so I've been trying to re remember that. And we get to the door. And I say to, to Chonguero, I say, Pichie. And right away, I could tell his face, he kind of got this funny look on his face. Well, maybe I didn't say it loud enough. <laughs> Pichie. No, he still had kind of the weird look on his face. And... Uh, he left. And it wasn't until after he left, it dawned on me, oh man, I wanted to say pipie. 
which means come back again. But instead I said pishie, which means run. <laughs> and uh, depending on the context, like if, it, if you're there and you have all these kids around you and you're trying to do something, they're kind of getting in the way, you can say pishie. And it's like scat, you know, like kind of get out of the way here. And, uh, but you know what? Chonghetto and the Ashinaga in general are very gracious and very forgiving and sometimes maybe don't have real high expectations for us when we're, we're trying to learn their language. But um, we are good friends with Chonghetto and, and his wife uh, today. So, so yeah, so after you have arrived at a high level in the language and hopefully aren't yelling scat at your, at your guests anymore, the next step in reaching the people with the gospel is to teach the people to read and write in their language. So if you could click on the next slide. Oh, you, you got it. So, why would that be important? Why would we want the people to, to learn to read and write in their language? Because hopefully, soon, they're going to have God's Word translated into their language. And you want them to be able to read it, right? Um, also, not just the translation of the Bible is definitely the most important, but if you have literate people, if they can read, then you can start to produce all kinds of material that would be helpful for them. Uh, maybe some simple health booklets. Um, lots of sickness and disease in the village that's related to just poor hygiene or... or um, maybe where they're getting their water, what, what their water source is. So you can also produce some simple booklets that can help them in that area. As we all know, reading just, it opens the world up to us, right? As far as um, educating ourselves, learning about other things. So that's the second thing, very important, is teaching the people to read and write. And then next slide, um, with the people learning literacy, your missionary team is hopefully beginning to translate uh, the Bible into their language. In our case, with the Ashinaga, fortunately, Wycliffe Bible Translators have done the bulk of the, the Bible translation work for us. Um, there is a need for a revision of that translation, but it has been a huge blessing to us to have Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, the translator there in Peru, has, has taken care of that, has done a, a, a New Testament translation um, for our dialect of Ashinaga. And then finally, once you have some portions of the Bible translated, you can begin to systematically teach the people God's Word. And uh, you start with creation, start in the beginning, and then you hit highlights going throughout, throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament through the life of Christ, His death and resurrection. And this is where, Lord willing, all that prior prior work, that learning the language and the culture well will pay off. And as you teach God's Word to the people, you also want to have a pretty good idea like how are they hearing God's Word? Um, how are they hearing what you are saying? Uh, what is the cultural lens? Kind of like a pair of glasses. What, what's the cultural lens to which they are understanding what you are proclaiming from God's Word? And knowing that will determine what you need to emphasize in your teaching. Like how you want to word your teaching because if you've studied their culture, you know, okay, when they hear this story from Genesis or from the Bible, they're, they're, this is how they're going to think about it. 
and you want to kind of have a, a good idea of what their, what their cultural views are, so that when you teach, you already know, okay, I'm going to have to emphasize this, because otherwise they're going to, they're going to think this. They're going to think wrongly about what God is trying to teach uh, in this place in the Bible. And there's a story told of a missionary to a tribal people group who in his teaching taught accurately from Genesis the story about when Satan came as a serpent um, there into the garden to tempt Eve to eat of that fruit that God had told her not to eat. And so he's teaching this, and he's teaching very accurately and very well in the language. And, uh, he's, but one thing he didn't realize until sometime later that in the minds of his hearers, as they're hearing this story, the hero of the story was Satan. Um, because they had this cultural value that to be able to be tricky and deceitful, you know, those are the cool guys, you know, those are the, the, the good guys. And um, totally unbeknownst to the missionary while he's teaching this. And so that is why it's so important to know what the cultural values are of that people group. That, that you're there to reach. Um, you want to know that ahead of time, right? Otherwise, there can be some huge mis miscommunication that might not be until sometime later that you realize, oh no, they totally missed the point there. Um, next slide, please. So as far as the Ashinaga, the people group that we work with, uh, where are we at in this process uh, with, with this people? Well, we just recently were able to make all the reading and writing materials uh, for the people. So we're ready to teach literacy. And Lord willing, once we have um, a good portion of the, the villagers there uh, literate, we can start teaching the people from God's word in their own language. Um, up to this point, I have taught some in Spanish to the people, but their understanding of Spanish is very, very limited. The men are a little better than the women as far as Spanish comprehension. But still, like I, I mentioned before, once you start to talk about spiritual things, like, like they, can, you know, they can go to a store and, and maybe buy what they need, talk to the, the vendor in Spanish, okay? But once you start talking about those spiritual ideas, um, the Spanish oftentimes goes, goes right over their heads. So... Um, after all these years that we've been with the Ashinaga, we feel that at last we're getting to, to this important new chapter in the ministry. And unfortunately, like for, for all of us here, COVID has kind of thrown a wrench <laughs> into, into the works here recently. Uh, but we know that God has in his perfect timing a special plan for, for these people, for the Ashinaga people. And um, just ask you to pray for the Ashinaga. Pray that God would do his work um, in his time among the people. Um, so uh, next slide, please. So the specific dialect of the Ashinaga that we minister to is considered unreached. And probably all of you have heard, heard that term before, um, unreached. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean to be unreached? And there are a number of different definitions as to what unreached means when it comes to a language or people group. Um, next slide, please. Put simply, though, it means that because of where the Ashinaga live or their lack of fluency in any language besides their very own, they have little or no access 
to the gospel. In other words, in Ashenaga, let's take the Ashenaga as an example. They can't uh, just decide to walk into a church and hear the good news about Christ. They can't do that because churches don't exist. Um, besides that small church you saw in the video with, with uh, Laudiano, and usually it's just him and his family there, uh, there are no, no uh, Ashenaga churches where they're going to hear the gospel presented. Also, Ashenaga can't just turn on the radio and hear a program um, in a language that they can understand that's, that's presenting the gospel to them. Um, so in these, in these ways, they have little or no access to the gospel. Many parts of the world, it's not that way, right? Not only are there churches and radio stations available, but maybe books or even some, some people groups, you know, websites, um, media, where they can access the gospel, the good news about Christ. Um, next slide, uh, please. According to the Joshua Project, there are... The Joshua Project's an organization that monitors the status of unreached people groups around the world. But according to them, out of a total of nearly 8 billion people, the world's population, there are around 3 billion that are still unreached by the gospel. Now that's not 3 billion unsaved or spiritually lost people. There, there's a lot more than 3 billion unsaved, spiritually lost people, right? But that's three billion people that have little to no access at all to the gospel. And I have a short video here that uh, is going to talk about these concepts a little bit, explain these concepts. If you run in Christian circles, you've probably heard people talk about the lost and the unreached. These are two common terms that Christians use to describe people who aren't followers of Jesus. But where do these terms come from, and what's the difference between the two of them? The term lost comes from a few references in the Bible. According to scripture, all people are born lost. It is a universal symptom of the fall. God created people to be in a right relationship with him. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and created a separation between man and God. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came like a beacon, offering to rescue anyone who will admit that they are lost and that he is the way to be found. Those who have not yet received his offer are referred to as lost people. Now the word unreached refers to lost people who will most likely never have the chance to hear that there is a way to be found. People groups are considered unreached when less than 2% of their population is following Jesus. They often have no access to the gospel in their culture or language, which means that they will never encounter the gospel unless something about their environment changes. There are still large numbers of people who have never heard, people who live far away and are hard to reach, or people who are born into societies where the message of Jesus is not known. Followers of Jesus are still working hard to tell everyone that they can be found. But out of all the missionaries who are going and telling, less than 10% of them ever make it to the unreached people of the world. So what is the difference between being lost and being unreached? Well, in a word, access. Everyone who hasn't trusted in Jesus is lost, but not every lost person is unreached. Many lost people can pick up a Bible, 
walk into a church, ask a friend, search the internet, or even simply wrestle with the things that they've heard about Jesus. But unreached people either haven't heard anything about Jesus or don't have the access to material or people who could help answer their questions. It is a big task to bring the message of the gospel to the hardest to reach places. But as the Apostle Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they do not believe? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So yeah, that um, video kind of explains it. The difference between the lost and the unreached. So, you can advance to the next slide there. What does God want us as his church to do about those that are unreached by the gospel? And um, just to, to finish off here, I want to leave you with three things. Three things that we as Christ followers need to be doing regarding the unreached peoples in the world, regarding those three billion people uh, here on this planet. So first of all, the next slide, we all need to be praying for them, right? We need to be praying for these unreached peoples. We need to pray that God would send gospel proclaimers to them, right? And I think we're all familiar with Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 38, where Jesus tells his disciples to pray. Pray to God that God would send workers out into his harvest field. And so we need to be faithful in praying that God would send workers uh, to these unreached people groups that they might hear. And secondly, what we can be doing as the church is as Christ followers, we need to help send the missionaries, partnering with the missionaries financially, logistically. Uh, there's all, all kinds of different ways that you can partner uh, with a missionary to send that missionary to the unreached peoples. And then last of all, thirdly, um, as Christ followers, we need to honestly ask, maybe God would have us go, have us go uh, to take the gospel to an unreached people group. And God may have in mind for us a short-term trip, um, somehow involved, maybe going to support a, a missionary family that is working with an unreached people group. Um, so it could be a short-term trip, but maybe it could be a lifelong commitment as well um, to go to the unreached people. Um, this morning, if you sense that God is moving in your heart as far as unreached peoples, I would suggest a great first step is just to start to educate yourself about the unreached. Um, that could be by reading books about the unreached peoples, um, looking at websites, listening to podcasts on missions and on the unreached. Um, it's a great way to learn, learn more about those peoples out there that have little to no access to the gospel. Secondly, as you learn about these people groups, you can make a part of your routine to pray for them. Pray for these unreached people groups. And be, be specific. Pray for them by name. And a couple of great websites um, that I've found that actually give, they actually give daily um, prayer plans 
uh, to be able to kind of pray your way through different parts of the world and pray specifically for unreached people groups is one that I already mentioned, the Joshua Project. Uh, they do an excellent job of giving all the statistics as far as uh, different people groups around the world and the access they have uh, to, to Scripture, the access they have to the Gospel. And their website is simply joshuaproject.net. Another great resource online is Operation World. Not sure if you've heard of that one. Operation World, and their, their website is operationworld.org. But I think both of, those, both of those websites have prayer plans, and they give, they give a lot of information on the unreached peoples. All right. Um, I'm not sure. Am I still good? Or? All right. Well, that was uh, pretty much what I had to share with you this morning. Um, I did put up uh, this last uh, slide here. And uh, boy, that really looks small now that I look at it. But uh, there at the top, it, it gives our Vimeo uh, website. Um, we, we try every month or every couple of months, we try to put some new, new little videos, short videos on there. And the purpose of those videos are to give folks like you like an inside look into uh, what it looks like to live with the Ashenaga, like their culture. Uh, you can see people eating things that you normally don't see people eating. And uh, so it kind of gives an insight into the Ashenaga culture. But also, what is missionary life, you know? How, how does the missionary live out there uh, with the Ashenaga, with the, with the people? So if you're interested in seeing some of those short videos, um, and you can uh, take a picture of this or write down that, that website, uh, that'd be great. And then uh, we also have our email address on there. Uh, we put out an uh, update, email update, how the ministry is going and so forth. And if you would be interested in um, receiving our email updates, um, you can... Yeah, you can either shoot us an email with that email address. We also have a table in the back uh, with some prayer cards, which uh, prayer cards also have our email on there. But, um, and there's also a sign-up sheet back there where you can, you can uh, give us your email if you already know that you'd be interested in receiving um, updates from us. But uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to have the privilege of being God's hands, right? Being God's feet and being God's mouth to these unreached people groups. And um, it's exciting to have folks like you because churches back here, you can play a role in that too. You might not be down there eating grubs or drinking that, that uh, <laughs> the, the frothy drink, but uh, you can be part of it too back here. Um, you know, the, the folks out there in the world in these isolated places are very much dependent upon folks like you back here um, to ensure that they, they can be out there. They can be out there reaching those peoples. Um, so I'll let uh, Pastor Bud just uh, close our time here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.